got called mom, but who cared for us all like a mom would. For the young moms who became moms sooner than expected and gave it all they had. For the single moms who tirelessly and courageously learned how to do this on their own. For the stepmoms and the stand-in moms who rose to the occasion and loved us well. For the working moms, the stay-home moms, the cooking moms, and the takeout moms, thank you. For teaching us how to walk, how to learn, and how to make a difference. For taking care of us when you barely had enough time to take care of yourself. For comforting us when we felt alone and afraid for lifting us up when others put us down, for the rides, the meals, the laundry, and the birthday parties, for the years, tears, laughter, and love. It's not enough, but we wanna say thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We love you, we honor you, we remember you today. Happy Mother's Day. We recognize that uh, Mother's Day can bring a variety of emotions across the spectrum. And so uh, we want to honor moms. We want to honor all who mother. And uh, it is, uh, it's a beautiful day. I know for me personally, in our lives, uh, growing up with my siblings, we were in a home where love was, and my mom was very attentive to us as kids. I can remember my mom standing at the uh, kitchen counter, and uh, she, she always used uh, like cornet uh, dishware on her stove, those white, you know, it wasn't steel, but it was these white porcelain cooking, and she would make scrambled eggs for us kids, and then occasionally, I don't know about you, but she would butter bread and then put cinnamon and sugar on top of the butter and put it under the broiler and make cinnamon toast. <laughs> And, I, as, and she would turn it upside down on the plate because all that sugar was just hardened on top with the butter. Anyway, and I can remember just coming downstairs and just saying, how this happened? <laughs> this is just gorgeously good. Anyway, we grew up in a home where my mom was just there, and it was, it was absolutely a marvelous childhood. And in our home, raising our kids, my wife, created an environment that was absolutely amazing to uh, be a child and a place of wonder, a place of uh, just absolute freedom to, to imagine and to grow. And so <clears throat> I feel very, very blessed. And so I'm so thankful. And yet I recognize that across the spectrum, some have said it was a very difficult upbringing or it was a hard home or it was a home without a mom or it was, you know, wherever that is. And so we simply want to say on this day, as we remember, certainly, as we honor, certainly, and as we process all of these things, we come to the Word of God today. And as we come to the Word of God, we're looking at those attributes that are mom-like. Many people will be preaching and teaching today from the pulpits out of Proverbs chapter 31, where we find the text of a virtuous woman, and I'm certainly going to share a handful of scriptures out of there, but specifically today, we're going to use as a platform portion of scripture, 
out of Philippians chapter 2 because it's in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 again where we are reminded to consider others over ourselves. And I don't know about you and your experience, but I know in my home growing up, my mom always considered others over herself. It was always kids first, family first, and then what my mom needed. And I know in our home raising our kids, for my wife Kim, it was always and has to this day, it's always others first. And it's, it's an amazing attribute, and it is a godly attribute, it is a biblical attribute, and it's attribute that all of us, can I get a hearty amen, could stand to have maybe just a little bit more measure of that dosage coming into our lives by the Spirit of God to help us to put others interest over our own. And so with that being said, I do want to mention at the end of the service, after the worship team comes and we uh, will sing uh, one more song and worship the Lord one more time, there is for all the moms and those who mother uh, a flower that we want you to take home. And uh, so, hey, and if you have uh, a grandma or someone who isn't able to be here today or maybe your mom isn't here and you'd like to take one to her, I think there's probably going to be enough of them up here so that that can happen as well. Uh, anyway, that's important. Then I also want to let you know at the at tail end, after the worship song, before we release you to come and get the flowers, we have some highlights, and we want to share those with you. And then several have been asking, is Hillside going to do something a little bit more for Ukraine and the Ukrainian refugees that are showing up in various countries across the globe? And the answer is yes. We've been seeking the Lord on what we might do as a fellowship. We have been seeking the Lord on how we might minister to those who have been displaced. Mostly moms and grandmothers and children have been displaced. I know when Kim and I were in Ireland, we made one stop. And in the stop, as we drove by to get the, this little place to have some clam chowder, there was a hotel that was closed, and that hotel was completely filled with moms and daughters and sons and grandmothers and I think at that particular location there was probably 250 and we had stopped earlier at a restaurant and talked with a Venezuela man who was the proprietor of that restaurant and he had said that over 600 refugees had already made their way into their village and we thought all right Lord we got to do something well, you'll hear a little bit at the tail end when we talk generosity, and I, we have a, a short video. It's about three and a half minutes. We want you to be uh, completely kind of tuned in because we have the opportunity to be a major blessing uh, to, some, to some refugees. So with that being said, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And everyone said amen. Amen. Um, our... our our theme verse today comes out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The scripture will be on the screen. Uh, I'm going I'm to go ahead and turn in my Bible to Philippians chapter 2. And my, my heartbeat is that these verses, particularly verses 3 and 4, would be our strive, our goal, our ambition. <clears throat> the scripture goes to say, Paul writing, he says, Therefore... If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let me stop here for a moment. 
this, these two verses are really reflecting what has just transpired in chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. He's just talking about how to not have your joy being robbed from your life by outside circumstances, outside pressures, outside the faith, outside those things in the world that are just bombarding. He's saying, hey, resist those things. Maintain joy by keeping a singleness of mind. And so he's, he's giving this. And then he says these words, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So not looking out for one's own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. Now, I say this simply to say everyone has interests and we cannot neglect our own interests, but we cannot allow our interests to become that which is the focal point of our lives and we neglect others' needs, right? So Paul is simply saying consider others' needs while you're maintaining your own needs. In other words, let's be engaged and let's put others first. And so, Proverbs chapter 31, that wonderful chapter, that wonderful portion of scripture that reminds us of the virtuous woman, there are three verses in there that I want to draw attention to. Verse 20 says this, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 27 says, she watches over the ways of her house, over household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. And verse 26, backing up one verse, says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I remember we used to pray every Friday morning. I had a friend of mine, uh, we would pray every Friday morning, and we would pray for our wives. And I remember always quoting that faithful and wise instructions would be upon her lips. And this idea coming from this proverb and the virtuous woman and I, I see, I read that first one where she's extending her hand to the needy, to the poor. And then the next verse is she's taking care of her household. Because I believe that it really depicts what Paul was trying to address in those verses 3 and 4. We, we have our own needs, but our own needs, as we meet the needs of others, we're not going to neglect our own needs. And so they're both important, but always having the needs of others before us. And so today what I would like to do is take just a few minutes. This might surprise you coming from Pastor Dave, but this could end up being a shorter sermon. <laughs> I know, go figure. Yeah, I mean, hallelujah. Um, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to look at a couple of examples of women in the Word that practiced putting others over themselves. These are probably familiar biblical figures for many of us, and for some of us, they may not be familiar at all. And I'm going to spend a fair amount of time reading some scripture. As you know, I generally will commentate on what I'm reading. But we're going to begin with this theme of highly esteemed 
or really highly esteeming, esteeming others over ourselves. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25 will hear of the death of Israel's last judge, Samuel, and he is also a prophet. He is a man of God. He's instructing, and Samuel is coming to the end of his life, and something, in, something interesting transpires after Samuel dies. David, who was receiving his uh, admonishments, he's receiving wisdom, he's receiving insights, he's been receiving uh, truly spiritual intelligence from Samuel. And now Samuel has died. And so we pick up in verse 20, or in verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep, and a thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal. Now, look this way for just a moment. Now, Nabal, the scripture tells us, was a scoundrel. Everyone say scoundrel. <laughs> just don't look at your neighbor and say scoundrel. <laughs> uh, he, he, he was, he was uh, pompous. He was wealthy. He was uh, full of himself. Okay? So he's the example of what not to be. Okay, and uh, David, while he was out in the wilderness, he, he would protect Nabal's shepherds. So if there was any attack on the shepherd to get some sheep or to get some of the goats, David would defend them. And so David, all the while, with David and his mighty men, these 600 men and families, they never touched something that wasn't theirs. They always simply protected the shepherds and the flocks. And that's very noble. That was very noble. In fact, it's described by one of the shepherds, one of the men in the house of Nabal, David and his men became a wall between us and our adversaries by day and by night. They were a wall. And that's something. And so David sends... It's, it's a feast time. It's one of Israel's seven feasts, and it's the feast time. And so he says to some of his men, look, go down to the rich man's house and say these things to him that, hey, while your men were out in the field, uh, we took care of them. We didn't do anything hostile toward them. We didn't take anything that didn't belong to us. We simply made certain they were secure. And so if it be in your heart, would you send something with our men and bring back so that we can have a feast, so that we can participate in the feast of Israel. And he said, you know, thus says David. And Nabal's response was, who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? Hey, all kinds of people in Israel right now are trying to separate themselves and set themselves up as someone. He says, who is that to me? Not happening. So the men come back and they tell David, hey, this man Nabal said these words and said, like, look, who are you? And David, David's like, 
Did we do that for nothing? He says, every man strap his sword on his side. We're going down to the house of Nabal, and we're going to eliminate every single male. By morning's light, they will all be dead. David was going to avenge himself. He had been wronged because of what he had done. He understood and they understood that there should be pay for the services that had been conducted by these soldiers. And so we pick up uh, in verse 14, and it says, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent his messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when they were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel. Everyone say scoundrel. <laughs> this guy. And one cannot even speak to him. Like there's no reasoning with this guy. Verse 18 says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sayas of roasted grain, and 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. So here's David and his entourage, and they're coming to the house of Nabal, man. And here she comes with a bunch, you know, her, her food, the feast is out in front of her, all these donkeys and food, and she's coming up behind, and they're going to meet here. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, verse 20, uh, went down under the cover of the hill, and there was David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, listen, David had said, surely in vain I have protected all of this fellow, all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. So David is like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, we're going to make account straight. And he says, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, listen to these words, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for, he is, for uh, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is his game. <laughs> That's what he is. It's, it is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass your, uh, of your maidservant, for the Lord will uh, certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Let me pause here for a moment. Abigail is standing in the gap. She's standing in the gap. She has put not only her own kids, but all of the male servants before herself. And she said, let the iniquity be on me. Let it be on me. Don't hold it against them. Disregard my husband. I didn't know about this. The men have no knowledge of this. Let this iniquity be on me. Does that sound like someone you and I might know? who stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much. And he took our iniquity upon himself, not considering his own life, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's a picture, it's a type, and it's a motherly attribute to consider others' needs. These men were going to die, and she has put herself in the gap. She is standing in the road. She is making intercession for these, asking for forgiveness. Receive a gift. And she says, and she goes on uh, in the middle of verse 28, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all of the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be of no grief to you, nor an offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause... Or that my Lord has avenged himself. But with the Lord, or but when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Not only now has she interceded for the people, her family and her servants, but she has now made intercession, prophesied, and spoken life to David. Don't do something foolish. You will be established as ruler over Israel. And why should you have innocent bloodshed? This will be a reproach. And the blessing of God won't be on you. Don't let that happen. Don't avenge yourself. Vengeance is the Lord's. She is, she is downloading some serious S-mail. You know what S-mail is, don't you? That's spirit mail. And that's when the Spirit of God speaks and the word goes forth. Look, Samuel's dead. David needs the word of the Lord. And Abigail brings the word of the Lord. Wisdom from on high. Not wisdom of this world, but wisdom from on high. 
She says, remember me when these things come to pass. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. Wow. David listened to the word of the Lord. So rich. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to me surely by morning, light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. <clears throat> it's a great picture of the heart of someone who puts others over their own interest. Her life was about to be destroyed as well, but she did not consider her own life. She considered the destruction that was to come upon others. And I just want to encourage all of us. Abigail is an amazing picture for all of us to emulate this kind of living, emulate this kind of spiritual life, emulate these things. I, I, I listed a handful of things up on the screen. Josh, go ahead and bring them up. Abigail, she demonstrated prudence. How many of you know the scripture says uh, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge? Our refuge is in the Lord. Man, Abigail, she, she saw the need, she believed the word of God, and she took action as a result. She was a woman who mediated. She became the mediator. She became that one who stood between certain destruction of a family of an entire city likely and she became that mediator standing in the middle she interceded she prayed please forgive please forgive how many of you know that when there's conflict you and I can step in and intercede between the two and as God gives wisdom we can share that wisdom she prophesied she's listening to the spirit of God how many of us would like to have the spirit of prophecy just flowing through us where God would be downloading to us and we could be affecting the circumstances of the lives around us as a result? Thanks be to God. And she was not shy about giving godly advice. Not shy about giving godly advice. She considered others over herself. So Abigail, let's, uh, let's look at the next the next figure, biblical figure, uh, Hadassah, Hadassah. Now, I'd have you all turn in your Bibles to Hadassah chapter 4, but you know her by her Greek name. Hadassah is her Hebrew name. Her Greek name is Esther. And uh, Esther is uh, it's a powerful portion of Scripture. It's an amazing deliverance that God brings in the lives in the lives in the lives of the nation of Israel a time when 
after a Babylonian captivity of 70 years, Cyrus the Great comes in, liberates the children of Israel, sends some 50,000 men back to rebuild the temple, the temple mount, and all that is there in Jerusalem. And uh, they don't do the right business. They don't get it all done. And there's enough history there uh, for us to spend the next several hours. So I won't go into that. But there were cultural aspects with this new empire, the Persian Empire. And when we get to Esther, Esther, uh, she is going to become one of the queens of King Xerxes. Now, Xerxes is also a Greek name. His Hebrew name is, are you ready for this? I say it this way, as you were as. Because it's just easier to say it that way. Ahasuerus, but as you were as. As you were as was the king. And uh, he is the great-grandson of Cyrus the Great. Darius I was his dad, and he is Xerxes, and he is prominent, and he is significant. And this story is amazing because it's a story of Truly an adversary who is seeking to destroy the Jewish nation. There's typology all through this whole story. Haman is a picture of Satan, and he is seeking to eliminate the ability for a Messiah to come. He is seeking to destroy a people. Just as today, he is seeking to destroy in your life and in my life the church, the body of Christ. Right? And so Haman devises a plan, if you, you can read, I mean, the story goes, chapter 1, Vashti, uh, the queen dies, and in chapter 2, I think it is, that uh, Esther becomes queen, and there's some just amazing pieces in this whole thing, and then the story of Haman seeking to eliminate the Jews, and it's overheard by Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle, and so... Esther, because she's now in the queen, she's in the, she's in the house of the king, and uh, I want to pick up in chapter 4, and you'll have to read the totality of the story if you've not read the book of Esther. It is absolutely amazing and powerful, but we'll pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, it says this, when Mordecai learned that all had happened, or all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud voice and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no, uh, no one might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every providence where the king's commandment and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. There was a decree that was going out, and a Persian decree, when a Persian decree went out, a Persian decree could not be revoked. And the Persian decree was that on a certain day, all of the Persians could eliminate Jews and take what they owned as their own. This is genocide. And it was a lawful genocide to eliminate the entirety of the Jewish nation. And when the decree was delivered, they knew a day was coming when they were, their lives were going to be taken from them, and then all their possessions would become those of the Persians who, who took their lives. Incidentally, this is exactly what transpired 28 years ago in Rwanda. It is, it is a repeat of what was attempted in these days. <clears throat> so Esther, Esther's maids and the eunuch uh, came and told her, uh, and the queen was deeply distressed. 
Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. So she's heard that he's mourning, he's got sackcloth and ashes, and she doesn't know what's going on yet. She doesn't have the detail. And so she sends him clothes and says, hey, come on. Uh, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther called uh, Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend to her, and she gave him the command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square and was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and all the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay in the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for the destruction which was given at Shushan that they might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead uh, before him for their people. So Mordecai, Hathach comes and Mordecai gives the detail, gives the decree and says, take this back to Esther that she, and Mordecai now who has taken care of her, has raised her in his own home. She's his daughter. He says, you go into the king. You go do this. Mordecai knows that's a death sentence. And you'll see why. So Hathach, verse 9, uh, returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. She's like, are you joking me? No one does that. Verse 11. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's providence know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And this is what Mordecai says to her. Mordecai told them and answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the other Jews. You're a Jew, Esther, and you will also be killed. You're not going to escape this. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for these three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The needs of others over the needs of self. If I perish, then I perish. Who knows if for such a time as this. And I would say to all of us, who knows 
except for a time such as this, is it time for you or I to surrender, to surrender, to say, no more fight. Winning this fight is not as important as the bigger picture, saving this or saving this relationship or saving this situation. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. I would submit to you that every one of us here have cause for us not to give in to do something on our own. But Esther is a picture of what it means to be completely surrendered, to be completely self-emptied so that any need out there in front becomes the priority. How many of the people, her people, did she not even know? But she was going to put her life on the line for people that she was completely unaware of other than they were her people. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. And so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. I also want to remind all of us that when we put others first, God will see fit that our needs are met also. God will move, even as Daniel, you would recall from the story of Daniel, God granted Daniel favor and goodwill in the eyes of those that were over him. God granted Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave them wisdom that was above their years, ten times wiser than any of the wise men and the astrologers and the Chaldeans. It is God who is at work, and it is God who is at work in you and me when we put others first. And so our invitation is to learn from these ladies how we can put God first. And with that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back, and I'm going to just share very briefly one more, one more biblical figure out of the New Testament. Her name is Priscilla in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18 tells us a story about a woman named Priscilla and her husband Aquila. I love that they're in Scripture never mentioned independently of each other. It's always Aquila and Priscilla or Priscilla and Aquila. They're a team and they're working together. And it's an amazing thing. And I just want to point out a couple of things. And Josh, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure I had some slides up there for Hadessa who also inquired of the Lord and interceded and uh, showed prudence and uh, mediated. But at the end of the day, she simplistically put others before herself. And so we see in Priscilla's life something amazing as well. These same attributes that we would see in these portions of Scripture in Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 4, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, actually in verse 18 and verse 19, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, and then Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, 
Paul identifies something that was very unique about this woman named Priscilla. Everywhere that Priscilla was, she hosted the church in her home. Whether it was in Corinth, where Paul was initially, her home was open, and that's where the church met. Then Paul took Priscilla and Aquila to Ephesus. And it's there in Ephesus that he left Priscilla and Aquila, and a church was meeting in her home again. And eventually they made their way back to Rome, and the church was back meeting in their home in Rome. And I see this individual who we have very little information about, and yet what I see is her heart was for the kingdom of God and her heart was for people. And we come to that portion in Romans. Paul's coming to the end of his life. He sees it, and it is nearing his time. And he says these words in chapter 16 as he writes out. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 4. Who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Another translation, and I believe the original language here is indicative of the very nature that Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul's sake, and not only Paul's sake, but all of the church there. And whether it be the church that was in Asia Minor, whether it be the church that was in Rome, whether it be the church that was in Greece, these two, and specifically Priscilla, she put others' needs over her own. And so I believe today on this Mother's Day, the attributes that we can discover out of these three examples is a attribute that Paul is drawing out to the church in Philippi, a book that we are in the midst of studying right now, and he is simply saying that you and I, we should esteem others' needs over our own. Not neglecting our own, but putting others' needs and interest over our own. And if that is something that you would like operating and working in your life even just so slightly more, I want to invite you to stand with me this, this morning as we're going to come to a time to pray and to worship the Lord. So will you please stand with me? Let's all stand. And that's all of you saying yes. <laughs> that's what we call spiritual manipulation from the Lord. <laughs> How to get a great altar response. <laughs> um, yes, Father, we do. We want godly attributes of considering others. Jesus, this was your disposition. You did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but you humbled yourself, took on the likeness of man, be became flesh, and you humbled yourself to the point of obedience, obedience to death on the cross considering others need over your own. Lord, let that attribute, let this mind, which was in Christ Jesus, also be in you. And so, Lord, we say yes. We say yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. And so God be glorified. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Fill us, Holy Spirit, fresh. And may we be the recipients of just a, a transformation in our hearts ever so slightly this day 
and ever increasing day after day after day after day in front. God, will you have your way in us? Change us, Lord. We love you. We need you. We need you. And on this day, bless all the mothers and all who mother. God, be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.